supply chains. Aren't you almost tired of hearing about the word, about the problem, the blockage, supply chains? We've got supply chains. We've got empty shelves, empty shelves, Joe. I mean, it, it can get a lot. Nobody's even explaining them. This is, this is part of my problem with a lot of people in the media, on the left and the right. They bring up words all the time because they've done a bunch of reading on it or research on it, so they have a base of knowledge on it, but they don't, they don't act like anyone else has anything else to do. <laughs> I mean, look, if you, if you do what I do for a living, talking to a TV and a radio, that's my job, right? I have to wake up in the morning, I have to read stuff, boy, which sucks. I have to read stuff. Other people, tell people what's going on. So let's do this with, when it comes to supply chains before we get to Joe Biden and Jen Psaki and great guests and everything else tonight. Let's just, let's just understand something basic about it. Say I have a factory, the Jesse Kelly factory of shirts, all right? Say I have a factory. What do I need to make a shirt? Well, I need the various cloth I'm going to make it with. I need the, the thread that's in here. I'm sure there's some thread in here somewhere. I need buttons. I need stuff for tags and whatnot. So I need, I need different things. Well, nobody's under the impression that all those things can be acquired right around Jesse Kelly's shirt factory, right? I have to go find them some other place. Maybe I have to get the, the cloth in New Jersey. Maybe the buttons have to come from France. Maybe the stitching comes from Texas. You understand? So they have to come from different places. And here's the thing. I need them to show up. These are all needs, right? Let's keep this in mind. These are all needs. I can't sell any of these shirts from Jesse Kelly's shirt factory without buttons. They all got to have them. So I need these things. Well, I also need them in a certain amount of time because people are ordering shirts, not just individuals, huge stores. Pick your clothing store out there. We need a thousand Jesse Kelly shirts from Jesse Kelly's Shirt Factory. Okay, I have an order, and they need that order in a certain amount of time. This is just a little example. Now, what happens to Jesse Kelly's Shirt Factory and the store who's going to be selling the shirts and the truckers who are supposed to truck my shirts from Jesse Kelly's Shirt Factory to the seller? What happens if the buttons are still in France? Everything stops. Everything stops. And what's the fallout from that? What is the fallout from that? Let's just talk about Jesse Kelly's shirt factory. How long can I stay open if Jesse Kelly's shirt factory doesn't sell shirts? How long can the truckers stay in business if they're sitting there with empty trucks because they're not full of Jesse Kelly's shirts from Jesse Kelly's shirt factory? The retailer who is going to sell them in his big store in the mall somewhere. How many customers are they losing because they have to go get shirts from somewhere else? We see where we're going here. The supply chain, which is pretty much what I just described to you, that's why people talk about it so much and that's why it's such a big deal. When we have, as we do, a record number of ships off the coast of California, it is going to create economic dislocation like you've never seen in your life. 
It's going to create bizarre shortages and outages of things you never even comprehended. I have been putting out the word on my show that I want emails of people from different industries explaining to me where they're seeing shortages and why. And I'll tell you, I was shocked. I've been shocked and not the good kind of shocked. Not the, oh, well, I have an extra bag of Sour Patch Kids in the pantry shocked. It was the, uh uh-oh. I didn't see that coming kind of shocked. I've been stunned. I'm hearing from surgeons and nurses who work for surgeons. Surgery postponed. We don't have the scalpels. Some guy wrote to my show. He went to the dentist and didn't get a toothbrush because there aren't any more of those. Forget about things like chicken and beef. I'm hearing about things like the internet, your favorite website out there, going down. Do you have any websites you visit? Have you thought about this? Because I never thought about this. Have you thought about this? I had some guy write in and explain it all to me. This, this website, you know, whoever runs your website, let's say, uh, let's they use the first, right? TheFirstTV.com. Everyone, who doesn't love TheFirstTV.com? You go to TheFirstTV.com, that's where you get your news. Remember, we send out this free newsletter. It's, it's awesome. What if it's not there anymore? Just one day you log in and it's gone like that. Well, the firsttv.com doesn't only exist online. It needs things, very fancy computer microchips and all that stuff. It's way beyond me. We get those from other places. They're having a hard time getting those. No, don't worry. We're going to be just fine at the first, but you, you see what I mean. Those things need updated constantly. What if the update to the website you love and use, maybe you use one for your livelihood, what if the chips they need... What if they're parked off the coast of California? You see, we have a huge problem. And there are problems, and then there are problems. You see, if you get home tonight and you go to bed, family goes to bed, and you wake up and you smell smoke, uh-oh, we got a fire in the house. You come out and the living room's on fire, and you get everyone safely out on the road. That's a problem. The living room's on fire. It becomes a lot bigger problem when you find out there aren't any fire trucks in your area and your home's gone. You see, it's not just that we have a supply chain problem right now. It's that there's no plan to fix it at all. The Biden administration can't even pretend to care about it, let alone fix it. It was crystal clear that things were not improving on supply chain. People couldn't get dishwashers and and furniture and treadmills delivered on time, not to mention all sorts of other things. So why the is it... The tragedy of the short, the treadmill that's delayed. Right, the treadmill. She can't help herself. These people cannot help themselves. They're so divorced from how real people live, they can't help but make snide, smug remarks. They can't fix the supply chain problem This problem is caused by the idiotic COVID restrictions, by the crazy California rules, bunch of union problems out there. There's no fix for what we're facing right now. None. And they don't even they don't even pretend like there's going to be one. They simply mock you to your face. Well, most people aren't the White House press secretary. They're not the president. They're not the speaker of the house. People have needs out there. Real human beings need certain things. These certain things are going to be gone. And they're already prepping us, trying to prep the ground on us for misery, because this is what these people do. They try to prep the ground so when we're miserable, we won't complain about it. 
We're seeing it time and time and time again. We're seeing things like lower your expectations. That was from the Washington Post. Just lower your expectation. They're going to, by the way, remember, how often do I tell you they use your values against you? You're going to be seeing that a lot in the coming days as the misery spreads and poverty spreads and problems spread. You're going to be seeing it. Stop being so greedy. Stop being materialistic. Why are you so greedy? That's them trying to cover up for their failures by abusing your values. They will always use your values against you. And let's remember something. We already have inflation, bad inflation. On a 12-month basis, the inflation rate um, will remain high uh, into next year because of what's already happened. But uh, I expect improvement uh, by the end of, by the middle to end of next year. It's just a year? What are you complaining about? I mean, we already have inflation at, what was that number? 5.4%? You know what that means? Just so everyone's clear about that. That means you just got demoted at work. You got a 5.4% salary decrease. That's what inflation means. It's a hidden tax. Every dime you have in your wallet is now worth 5.4% less. That's where we're at. And they don't care. And not only do they not care, they're trying to pass a gigantic bill that will suck an extra one, two, three trillion dollars out of the economy from private citizens. And this, I'll tell you what, I saw Janet Yellen go on TV and say this the other day. This is quite an admission. We're going to talk about unrealized capital gains. Well, um, I think what's under consideration is a proposal that uh, Senator Wyden and the Senate Finance Committee have been looking at that would um, impose um, a tax on unrealized capital gains um, on liquid assets held by extremely wealthy individuals, billionaires. Um, I wouldn't call that a wealth tax, but um, it would help get at uh, capital gains, which um, are an extraordinarily large part of the incomes of the wealthiest individuals. It's not a wealth tax, but um, a tax on unrealized capital gains of exceptionally wealthy individuals. Do you hear how these communists talk? Did you just hear her destroy her own points about 10 times? It's not a wealth tax. It's just we're going after the gains of wealthy people, but not a wealth tax. We're just going after wealthy people and their money. We need wealthy people to keep investing. You realize what you realize unrealized capital gains tax. You know what that is? Let's just to use a ham fisted example. Let's say you have a home, $300,000 home realize that's a nice home, but you have a $300,000 home and let's say real estate market in your area blows up and now it's worth $400,000. You're not selling your home, so you got to live there, right? They're going to tax you on the $100,000 you made. Yeah, that's what unrealized capital gains tax is. These people, it is, I mean, we don't like to think about the destruction being intentional, but it is intentional. There's no way you accidentally do everything you could possibly do to destroy an economy. That happens on purpose. Remember that. All that may have made you uncomfortable.
but I'm right. We have a great show for you tonight. I'm so excited. First, we get to talk to my friend, Chef Andrew Gruel. He joins us next. He knows a little something about small business right now. Hang on. Joining me now of the great Slapfish, the best restaurant that I've never been to, apparently. I can't believe I haven't been to his restaurant yet. I haven't been out to California yet. Chef, I'm coming. Chef Andrew Gruel. Everybody tells me this Slapfish is the best place around. What is, before we get to all the supply chain stuff, what is the most popular dish on the menu? Uh, lobster grilled cheese. Half crab, half lobster, cooked to a melting tenderness. Oh. Sourdough bread, thick cut. You name it. And you know what you know we're coming to Houston next year, so I'm sorry I'm sorry, what did you just say? You're you're opening one in Houston? Oh yeah, we're moving everything to Houston. Our headquarters is now in Houston. I was just there a day ago. I was looking for you. Oh my word. Oh yeah. We'll be broadcasting from Slap Slapfish from now on as soon as he gets here. But all right, now moving on to other things. Uh, I don't think it's a mystery why you're moving to Houston, but do you care to elaborate why you're moving out of California to Houston? Well, yeah, for all the reasons we talk about on numerous occasions, but also we are uh, uh, we, we brought on a new partner in the Houston market. So my partner is uh, part of the Matt Kike organization, and, and uh, we'll put everything back in Houston. Good deal. All right. Supply chains, that's what we're talking about, and they're terrible for everything. I mean, everything. It's Eggs are up 12%. Coffee's up 4%. It, it's, it's hurting people. How is it specifically hurting your restaurant or restaurants in general? Well, overall, all restaurants are facing the same issue, right? From paper goods to chemicals to oil to dry goods, perishables, non-perishables. Specifically for seafood, what you're seeing now is, is that restaurants are actually removing seafood altogether from their menus. And that being the backbone of our business, it just further puts pressure on the conversation related to, A, how much we import. 80-plus percent of the seafood in the United States is imported. So that's why we've got so many issues specific to that particular commodity. But what we're seeing isn't just related to the price of goods or the lack of supply. It's not a demand issue, right? So this idea that it's the demand that's creating pressure on the supply is 100% false because we still have people curled up under their sheets here in California afraid to leave their doors. We're not seeing demand on the restaurant side of things. Demand might be higher amongst things like Amazon, DoorDash, and any of these Silicon Valley companies that have totally stripped out Main Street. But it is strictly an issue of the inability to get products here by virtue of a poorly run supply chain, in addition to the labor woes, and then the regulations. You see it everywhere. These regulations are piling up in the background, and they're creating these barriers that are just that many more impedent, you know, that much more uh, sludge in the pipeline preventing us from getting the products that we need to operate. Okay, I want to pause on the seafood thing for a moment because I think a lot of people will be shocked by that. We import 80% of our seafood. Now, I'm not a restaurateur, certainly, and I'm definitely not an oceanographer, but I have seen like a map of the United States of America, and it seems like we have a couple of gigantic oceans on each coast. Why are we importing 80% of our seafood? So that's a question, and the funny thing is that just shows your brilliance right there because most people don't realize that. The exclusive economic zone, the EEZ, which is 200 miles off the coast of any country's ocean. We own the majority of the ocean by virtue of that coastline, just like you say. But instead of us actually properly 
you know, fit farming, aquaculture, or for that matter, just beefing up our wild capture fisheries. We import it all from China. And the fish that we do catch in the United States, we ship to China or Russia to process or Korea or Indonesia to process. And then we buy it back from them because in those countries, they don't deal with the labor issues and the unions that we deal with here. They don't have the regulations in place. So, and the funny thing is we're the only country without an actual framework for open ocean farming, which is one of the most energy efficient forward thinking ways that we can create high quality protein at a low cost. So instead of us doing it, because you've got Sierra Club, Greenpeace, you've got all these um, agencies that are boycotting and these activists that are saying, no, there's no way we're going to farm in our oceans. Instead, we buy it from places like China, where not only do they farm in their oceans, but they're treating it with antibiotics and chemicals and malachite green. So we're just importing the crap that we're saying we don't want to grow in our oceans. And, you know, it's just another way that we have gotten in our own, our own, you know, our own way when it comes to progress. And seafood, I think, is one of the huge answers. Oil and behind oil and automobiles, the third largest trade deficit is seafood. Can you explain? I, I, we talked a little bit earlier about you moving your restaurant to Texas and whatnot, but in what ways does a place like California? Because I'm always encouraging people to move to a red state. In what ways do they hurt you? Do they do they do they throw roadblocks in front of what you're trying to do as a small business owner, as a restaurant owner? Well, why don't I use the example of how I started Slapfish? So I started Slapfish in 2011 as a food truck. There were none of these kind of gourmet food trucks out there. And there was maybe like one or two, right? So the first thing I realized was I could quickly get in and drive around in one of these catering trucks that everybody thought was just flipping tacos to the construction guys. And I could avoid most of the regulations. So when I got in, I was paying like $200 a month in kind of overhead for the city and the health department to be slinging fish tacos and lobster rolls off of a food truck. I, I left eight months later. I went from one to four food trucks. I left. I got out of the food truck game before I opened my first restaurant. Because at that time, eight months later, the government caught up. So many people started doing this. It was $4,000 a month and $200 oh. a month in a matter of eight months. And that came in the form of California Coastal Commission fees, environmental fees, uh, health department fees, you name it, right? So that's just one example right there. I got out quickly. Everybody asked me now, hey, I want to start my own restaurant company by starting a food truck. I want to do the same thing you did. I was like, the window is closed. You got to get in before the government realizes that they need to stick their hand in that pocket. They're now trying to ban the use of natural gas in commercial and residential settings in all of California. They've already piloted this in, uh, guess where, Oakland, San Francisco, you name it. So what does this do? This hurts the lower class. This hurts the poor. This hurts those one-off mom-and-pops Chinese food restaurants who now can't cook with an open-fire wok. They're going to be microwaving their lo mein. That is just absolutely terrible. All right, there's a new headline out. IBM is partnering with McDonald's to to have automative drive-throughs. Now, some people who've had bad experiences with fast food workers are going to applaud this. Some aren't. But it does seem like, Chef, as uh, every restaurant owner I know, and I know a lot of them has said, Jesse, I can't find employees. It does seem like this is the next thing, right? Yeah, of course. That's 100% going to work. Uh, that is the future of the restaurant industry. So to that same point, and, and I'm aware of the McDonald's story, Buffalo Wild Wings just introduced their uh, chicken cooking robot in many of their corporate locations, and they're planning on rolling them out across the entire enterprise. And what that robot does is that it batters and it fries chicken, it pulls the chicken, it puts it in a heating tray, and now you need one or two less, well, actually, I guess full-time, three less units of labor in order to run the line. You're going to see the same thing in the front of the house, and we're going to robotize everything. It's all going to be mechanized. Yeah. All right. 
Chef, I have to ask, obviously I joke around a lot about making the best cheeseburger in the world, and while it does taste good, I am not a chef, and I don't know how to do anything else in the kitchen. But you, of course, have seen my cheeseburger recipe. Give it to me, Chef. How bad is it? What's wrong? Tell me what's wrong with it. I know it tastes good, but what am I doing wrong? No, no, this is the perfect burger recipe. So here, the only thing I would say about this burger recipe, right, is for the people that are listening and watching, is that if you suffer from having your meat shrink, I'll leave a moment of silence there, where it kind of boils up in the center and then the cheese slips out because of that. If you actually start by indenting the center of the burger, instead of it coming to a bubble, it will actually just come to a perfect level and you can get that even distribution of product across the burger itself. Otherwise, perfect recipe. I never knew that. I've made this thing a thousand times. I've never made a little little indent in the center of it. Daggone it. Thank you, Chef. Chef Andrew Gruel, the restaurant is Slapfish. Go enjoy it, Californians, while you can, because it's coming to me now. Appreciate you. Thank you. How about that? A little indent in the middle. See, that's why you got to have the pros on. Look, still an amazing burger, right? But now I, I get a more even cheese. All right. We have Kevin Kiley. He's also in California. He's also frustrated. Next. Hang on. Joining me now, Kevin Kiley. He is a Republican California assemblyman. He is also the author of the book, Recall Newsom, The Case Against America's Most Corrupt Governor. I don't know that there's any debate about that. Uh, first of all, California, you're a Republican there, obviously a popular one, but still a Republican in the belly of the beast. What is it like to be surrounded at all times by policies you consider to be insane? Well, it's not good because it has such a negative effect on my constituents and, and all Californians. I mean, when you look at uh, what has happened to California, the state that everyone used to want to come to, where you sort of the American dream was fully realized, uh, it's now the state that everyone seemingly wants to leave. Last year, for the first time in California's 170-year history, uh, our population declined by 182,000 people. And so we've been on this downward spiral for quite some time, but Gavin Newsom, through his corrupt and incompetent uh, management of our state, especially during COVID-19, has really brought us to a breaking point. Can you explain to me what exactly he's done wrong that is so bad? Because I saw that number of, of people fleeing California, and I was, I've lived in California before. I spent a lot of time there. I, I realize it has some crazy parts, but California, it is paradise. How do you get people to leave paradise? Yeah, it's a great question. You have to try really hard uh, to make California a place that people don't want to be because we have so much to offer in those beautiful places in the whole world. Uh, and, uh, and yet you have people who have lived there, here their entire lives, who have, whose family have been here for generations, who feel like they have no choice uh, but to leave. You know, we have the highest poverty rate in the United States. We have the most homelessness by far. In fact, our unsheltered homeless population is nine times larger than the next closest state. That's, that's gotten much worse under Gavin Newsom. We have just about the worst uh, public school system in the country. And during COVID-19, Gavin Newsom has put all of these problems on steroids. He shut down our schools longer than any state. We had the harshest business lockdowns. We had the worst church lockdowns. And now we're seeing the highest level of coercion and control when it comes to mass mandates, vaccine mandates, uh, vaccine passports. Uh, and yet California also has middling public health outcomes. Other states that have actually, you know, 
provided for uh, some measure of, of freedom and trusted in their citizens have done better from a public health perspective as well. I do have to ask, first of all, I want to play this little bit for you about Joe Biden, because we're going to talk about this. Trump, I love this one. Trump likes to boast the single best measure of the economy is the stock market. I never thought that. Well, if that's true, take a look at the stock market now. It's higher than it ever been. I guess it's like everything's doing well. It is. Higher than it's ever been. Not only that, more people are working today than just before the pandemic started. Household wealth is up. People are buying more things. Manufacturing is up. We're on the move, but we're on the right track. We've got more to do. So if you're looking for someone who's going to keep your economy going and growing, the man behind me is the guy to get it done. The economy's doing well. Haven't you heard, Kevin? I mean, I, I'm looking off the coast of California at some pictures and video, and it doesn't look like it's going that well. Uh, no, not at all. And uh, that reminds me a lot of sort of the spin that Gavin Newsom uses. He tries to cite California's GDP or like the number of IPOs and somehow use that as evidence that California is doing great. Basically, what he's saying is that some tech billionaires have done really well, and indeed they have done well. Uh, during the COVID shutdown. So let's ignore the fact that millions of Californians are living in poverty, that it's almost impossible to buy a house here, uh, you know, even if you work hard uh, and do everything right, uh, that our streets are utterly deteriorating, that crime uh, is going up across the state. Let's ignore all of that because some tech billionaires are doing really well. What the numbers actually say is that California right now has the highest unemployment in the United States, 7.5%. It's barely budged all year. And tellingly, just a couple of days ago, we had an oversight hearing for Newsom's unemployment director. And I asked her, I said, why do you think it is that California has the highest unemployment in the country? She couldn't give me a reason and said instead she would put a research team on it to look into it. <laughs> of course, they're going to look into it. I love when they do that. Well, let, let me circle back. Exactly. I'll circle back with you right now. Well, I, what specifically has Gavin Newsom done to make the supply chain problem better or worse? I mean, the, 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 I believe it's 40%. That's the amount of goods coming in off those California ports. 40, 40% right. of America's goods. We need those goods coming in. Is he helping? Is he hurting? Why aren't they coming in? Oh, he's hurting. And by the way, the governor is now jet setting for Glasgow uh, to participate in this oh. UN uh, climate change conference uh, as this supply chain crisis at our ports uh, is crippling the U.S. economy. Uh, you know, California's ports, they're finally saying they're going to start operating 24-7. Florida's have been operating 24-7. Uh, but California has put in place uh, a number of completely needless and often corrupt laws and regulations that have actually uh, stood as a barrier to the efficient operation of the ports. Uh, industry leaders have just put together a letter citing all of these and saying that the governor needs to suspend them immediately, uh, and yet he has refused to do so. To give you one very clear example, uh, the governor signed a couple years ago a law known as AB5, which essentially banned most forms of independent contracting. And that is the main business model uh, for truckers, is they're independent contractors. And so this has led uh, to uh, a shortage of available truck drivers, which has created major bottlenecks at the ports. And yet the governor refuses to do anything uh, to mitigate or to reverse AB5. What is that? So is that the main reason for the supply chain problem? A lot of people know there's a supply chain problem. They've seen the pictures of the boats. They don't know why, though. Is that the reason why there's not enough truckers? Is that the main reason? 
That's one of the bottlenecks for sure. And if you read this letter from the industry experts, they go through all manner of regulations that affect various different uh, sort of links in the chain uh, when it comes to actually docking boats and then unloading them and delivering them uh, to consumers, uh, where, you know, obviously there are some pressures that are extraneous uh, to California, but uh, our state's ability to deal with them expeditiously uh, has been severely hamstrung uh, because of the laws and regulations that we have in place. And yet the governor uh, has not done anything about it uh, except for a huge sort of uh, symbolic measures. And the result of that is we now have, as of yesterday, uh, 62 uh, ship container ships that are waiting off the off the ports of, of Long Beach and Los Angeles. As you said, that accounts for 40% of goods that come uh, from foreign countries. Uh, we've The average wait time is now 10 days. You have reports of food shortages, even uh, depression among sailors uh, on those ships. And indeed, it looks uh, very likely uh, that one of them caused this big uh, rupture of an oil pipeline uh, on October 2nd. Uh, that's led to major environmental damage. And so uh, I've called for the governor to call a special session of the legislature uh, to actually get us back and uh, you know work on these issues to alleviate this problem that is crippling uh, not only our economy, but the whole US economy. Instead, the governor and 14 members of the legislature are going to Glasgow for the UN Climate Change Conference. Yeah. Life is good when you're one of these corrupt politicians. I, 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 do, I do have to ask, because you're there and I'm not, Surely they do want it to get better, right? Newsom and the Democrats? I mean, no matter what, even if you're a card-carrying communist, it doesn't look good when you have a bunch of ships in a parking lot right off your shore. They do want it to get better, right? Well, you would think, but, you know, it doesn't look good when you have, uh, you know, over a 1,000 people in L.A. County dying on our streets every day. Uh, and yet we're not taking any action uh, there. It doesn't look good when it costs over three quarters of a million dollars uh, to buy the average house in California. It doesn't look good when you have uh, it, this huge uptick in, uh, in, in depression and even uh, suicide and mental health visits among America's kids uh, because of Newsom's corrupt school shutdowns, and yet none of this has caused him to change course. And so I think that the only thing uh, that is going to give us a, a chance to turn California around is to remove Gavin Newsom from office and to elect someone who will actually govern in the public interest and serve the people of California. Well, let's hope that happens. Kevin Kiley, I hope it's you, brother. Go get him. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate the chance to be on. You bet. All right. We'll be back. I was able to go to the private portion with 40% of all products coming into the United States of America on the West Coast go through uh, Los Angeles and, uh, and uh, um, uh, um, what am I doing here? Is it Long Beach? Long or? Beach, thank you. And Joining me now, Peter St. Ange. Peter probably had a heart attack while he watched the President of the United States speak like that, but he's a research, research fellow of economic policy at the Heritage Foundation. Peter, I really would prefer if the President had some grasp of how our economy works. Just any grasp would be fine for me. It is par for the course uh, at this point, so he is true to form on supply chains. His trademark incompetence. Peter, would you do me a favor and pretend as if I'm five years old and have never heard the word supply chain in my life? What is a supply chain? All right, what a supply chain is, is uh, it puts stuff on the shelf 
and it gets stuff to factories all right so it's basically the distribution of everything that our entire society runs on if the supply chain breaks you start to see shortages you don't have stuff on shelves people are worried about Christmas there are actually some food products that are stocking out or that are not available on shelves yeah you've got a shot of it and then the other problem of course is you can't get components or materials for factories and so those factories grind to a halt so in normal times we don't pay much attention to supply chains but they are really really important okay well I'm gonna play you this little clip of Democratic rep Jim Clyburn this is what he had to say about our problems wish that we would spend a little more time all of us educating people as to what the real problems are these are not Joe Biden problems these are global problems that we should all address and not try to put the blame on the sitting president I don't care who's in the White House they could not possibly do anything about these issues that you and I are now talking about Peter where's he right where's he wrong uh, he's completely wrong. Uh, the source of, there are really three sources here uh, of the problem. So one of them is that government regulations and rules have made it hard for people to work. Number two, they've been paying people not to work. Uh, and then number three, you've got union chokeholds on specifically the West Coast ports, right? So Port of Long Beach, Port of Los Angeles are there right next to each other. They handle 40% of the containers coming into the country. Now, if those containers don't move in, everything else grinds to a halt, right? Like, for example, in order to ship food, right, most of our food is made here in the U.S., but in order to ship it, it's got to be packaged. That packaging, it's made of plastics and resins and things like this, those have to, fundamentally, the materials have to come in on containers. Right? There's a lot of products we make where you've got dozens or hundreds of components. And if any one of those components is missing, the whole thing grinds to a halt. So it's not just a question of what comes in on the containers. It's what those components go into. And so if those aren't there, then indeed, you even get shelves cleared of food. Right. So you got those three problems. You got the government rules specifically the worst rules you've got a bunch of labor rules and then you've got environmental rules and those are really worst in california which is the center of the problem here that's backing everything else up and those rules have combined to take an enormous number of truckers off the road in california right so you put that together with the union taking their time on processing imports and the entire thing is backing up you've got railheads right for the railroads with 10 or 20 day waits uh and then of course you know because so many people have been paid to stay home right that's warehouse workers uh people who stock shelves at the walmart right so all across the country you've got those three problems right government rules government's paying people not to work and then government privileging unions and you put those three together and things are breaking really all over now the government at this point has no plan, right? Uh, Biden had some sort of gimmick uh, the other day about uh, Port of LA hours. Uh, Buttigieg, uh, you know, he says now it's gonna be years and years, he said. Uh, it, when Biden notices the problem, he generally attacks the people trying to fix it. 
Okay, so I, I look, I, we're going to come back to Biden and them for in, in just a moment, but I do have to ask this, Peter. We have a big country. There's a lot of coastline. If everything's getting bottlenecked because California sucks, why aren't we shipping it to other places? Right, so the problem is the size of ships that other ports can handle, right? So, you know, Florida, Texas doesn't have the same kinds of backups, but they can't handle the biggest ships. So in theory, maybe you could transship it, you could take it off one boat and put it on the other boat, but then we've got a bunch of other government regulations that make that really hard to do. You've got to use particular types of ships, uh, you've got emissions, new emissions rules coming on um, ships. Uh, they Every week they've got something new they want to ban, and a lot of that stuff directly impacts the supply chain and slows it down. Peter, okay, now back to everything getting worse, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but everything does look terrible, and if you have any understanding about supply chains at all, you realize the backlog is getting worse. There's a huge glut, and the glut is growing daily. Peter, where's this going to go? I can't see this ending in anything but, I mean, a real economic disaster. Is that too far? I don't want to be too far. Yeah, well, the solution really has got to look like what Trump did, right? So early during COVID, we had a bunch of disruptions in a lot of things. And Trump sat down with the people who actually work in those fields and he asked them, what do you need? What can I do? And then he did it. Now, as this problem gets worse, and it is getting worse, there was a brand new record today for the number of ships stuck off LA. It is getting worse. Um, and as it gets worse, in theory, Biden could sit down with those people, the people who actually know the business, the logistics guys, the truckers, could sit down with them and ask them what they need and then he could get it done. Now, so far, he hasn't done that, uh, probably because that would require him standing up to unions and it would require him saying no to activists, especially green activists. So until there's that sense of crisis, uh, it's probably not going to get any better. And so far, uh, he hasn't shown any sense of crisis. Okay. Now, <laughs> I'm going to switch gears here briefly because I have to ask about Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen continues to go on television and, at least to my eyes, come off as a Bond movie villain. She's proposing attacks on unrealized capital gains. Now, Peter, I went to community college, but that is the increase in value on things I own but haven't sold yet, right? Do I have that about right? Yeah, well, it looks an awful lot like a wealth tax. And, you know, poor Janet Yellen, I'm sure she spent all week coming up with clever wording. And then Nancy Pelosi today came out and said, yeah, we're probably going to have a wealth tax. And, of course, what that does is now when we go back to the supply chain, you've got one more layer, right? Because a wealth tax goes after investors. It goes after people who are putting down the money to actually expand uh, capacity or expand factories. So all this government does is hunt the people who are trying to fix our problems. That's all they know. Peter St. Ange. Peter, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, Jesse. It will be interesting to see how our economy reshapes itself in the coming months, years. I mean, like Peter just pointed out, you got a bag of chips. You can make the chips, but you can't get the bag. 
You're not just going to shut down. you got to figure something out, right? I don't know. I need my chips. All right, we got our final thoughts. Next. This crisis, this supply chain crisis we've been talking about all night tonight on the show, I want you to understand something. And I'm really not trying to make anybody scared or panic, but I do want you to understand something. It's not just that we have a crisis now. It's that there is no sign, zero, that this is about to get better. No one's even really trying to make it better. This only gets worse from here. The backup of ships, the supply chain problems, it gets worse from here. Now, what am I saying? Why am I saying this to you? I'm not trying to scare you. Doesn't hurt to adjust your expectations and your behaviors based on this a little bit. Doesn't mean accept having less, but it might mean have a little extra. Not a bunch. Don't go crazy. I know you're not made of money. Have a little extra. Maybe have an extra pack of batteries. Have an extra this, have an extra that. I don't know what the future is going to bring. I joke about it, but I'm actually not an oracle. But probably got some rough times. All right? We'll do it again.